Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the uh, Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. We continue on with the Class of 99 series and uh, we're going to track back a little bit to what was really the first uh, blockbuster of the summer uh, that year in Stephen Summers' The Mummies. I think this is the first time in about two decades I'd seen it, so uh, I was it. It was definitely an interesting uh, rewatch, uh, and to discuss it with me is a filmmaker I've had on the podcast a few times, including earlier this year when we discussed The Matrix. Uh, please welcome back to the show, David Spaltrow. Thank you very much for joining me, David. Hey, man! Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So I. I remember when we first started to talk about doing The Mummy, uh, it was in reference to a tweet I had seen where somebody had said that The Mummy, the Stephen Summers movie, was better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, wow. I think I had posted on Facebook and we'd gone back and forth a little bit about it. And it's like, yeah, we'll 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 just we'll go ahead and discuss this movie. Uh, first of all, that's not true. Uh, even by the most <laughs> I generous, agree. Even by the most generous uh, <laughs> scale, I in no way, shape, or form is this film better than Raiders of Lost Ark. Uh, yeah. And my my most recent rewatch uh, confirmed that. Uh, what was uh, do you what was your history uh, talk to? watching this movie um you know i grew up as a kid i grew up uh, as a really big fan of the original universal monster movies so when i heard they were remaking it i actually remember all this like i mean this film has a great mm-hmm. there were very many characters that were attached to this george romero was going to do it in the early 90s uh clive barker was going to do a real low budget dark like more horror version. Mm. yeah i remember the time that I saw the trailer and I knew that Brendan Fraser was going to be in it the first trailer I saw kind of almost turned me off from seeing it because it looked absolutely ridiculous for a movie it looked like a massive it looked like they were trying to make a big summer movie um, that I didn't think gelled with the material not having seen it not knowing where they were going so at first I wasn't even sure I really wanted to see it Yeah. and then I remember being very pleasantly surprised when I it was very I mean it was extremely well done, entertaining in a way that, um, you know, it's funny, you're the person you're talking about who said it was better than Raiders. My initial impact when I saw it, because they hadn't made another Indiana Jones film, was like, this feels like an Indiana Jones. Like, I got a lot of the same kind of like, yeah. it's epic, it's archaeology, it's fun. It was fun and funny. And, and there were some like, uh, there were some pretty hardcore moments for it being like a Disney kind of PG ish film in some ways um so i got that i was just very entertained by it um and, and you definitely got it felt like it could have fit in the canon of a movie yeah no and i i definitely feel that way i i definitely agree with you on that um i i didn't grow up with the universal monster movies but um i i will say that i i've since watched them and it's funny because of the fact that i've I've watched the original Boris Karloff money, Mummy as well as the the Hammer version of the story with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Yeah. And it's like every version of the story is essentially the same story. 
Um, yeah. And I I do definitely prefer like the stripped down uh, horror version of the story to the adventure movie. Uh, I I definitely I definitely see why people uh, enjoy the movie as far as popcorn entertainment and stuff like that. And it, to a certain extent, it does work uh, relatively well in that respect. I'm not I'm personally not a big fan of it. But part of that is I, I really wasn't even a big fan of it then. I thought it was too silly. I thought it was yeah. too over the top. Um, watching it last week, like the the CGI is not aged well for this movie <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah. I was I was really kind of shocked by that. It was funny because of the fact that I'm going through some of my old uh review materials and stuff like that. And I came across one of my original email uh mailing list emails I sent to people where I was basically talking about like my brief impressions of the first of the movies of this summer that I had seen. And one of the things I had said about The Mummy, even though I didn't really like it, is that it had really great visual effects. I I really don't know why I thought that. I mean, I guess maybe in 1999 I thought it was, it, it was much more impressive. Maybe it was because it was on the big screen. But, yeah, the effects in this movie really don't hold up at all. I mean, so we've come... I mean, even I think the, the sequel came out two years later, and, and that had... That has some, some a couple of effect shots, especially with the rock, that really that are like a little rushed and don't hold up. But I think it's interesting that film came out like just before the Phantom Menace in '99. Yeah, and you think about these two films, and it, it you know, Mummy has some special effects where they were really trying some some pretty breakthrough stuff for that time, uh, and the effect shots and moving and action, real actors. So it's always curious to me too. I know ILM did the effects. Um, was there possibly some, you know, because of how many effects houses there were back then and, and artists, um, some competition, even though Lucas was doing a lot of stuff in-house, you know, did that kind of monopolize a lot of the VFX stuff at the time while The Mummy had, you know, to do with whatever they could get? Yeah, I, I would imagine that was probably the case because, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, this basically came out like two weeks before Fan Menace. Um, and, uh, I, I will give them credit for, I will give them credit for this. Like, I, I think Summers, uh, who overall was not really a terribly good director, um, writer, director, I, I think he definitely has his issues, but I mean, there are are also movies of his that I have enjoyed to a certain extent as well. Um, he, he is trying, I, I think if you're going to adapt like that story of the mummy to a big budget uh, landscape, I think this is, this is on the right mark. Uh, I mean, I still haven't seen the Tom Cruise mummy from a couple of years ago, but just uh, everything I've heard about it and seen about it, like it just, there, it, it just is not really a, an effective retelling of that at all. No, I mean, I, regrettably, I've actually seen that because, because I, <laughs> I was like, Oh, again, I like universal monsters. And I was, I was intrigued because for me, um, 
again, what made this film was surprised me and what I thought I would originally hate coming from the source material and how many ways you can tell the story, them opening it up and making it a big kind of action adventure epic where the mummy is, comes in even later and it's more about the characters and, and like this, this, you know, quest. I thought that was an interesting way to open it up. So the Tom Cruise one, I was curious because I liked one of the writers on it and, um, the idea that he is the mummy this time. And even though there's another villain who is also some kind of mummy, I was like, okay, so they're, they're, they're updating it, but they're, they're tweaking it in a way that the same way that I didn't, I didn't think the first time the 99 one would work for me. Let me see how this works. And it did not work at all yeah. for many reasons, uh, for many, many, many reasons. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think, um, summers is, is not a great, filmmaker um he he does have this one skill because i also realized after i'd seen the mummy that he was um somebody who i'd seen uh, deep rising yeah. um which he which is not a good film at all but i remember when i saw it late at night in some theater at the time i i was still thoroughly entertained and i think one of his skills or at least i haven't seen it as much in anything he's done since the original mummy and and this um is he's able to get a cast and he uses a lot of similar cast members sometimes yeah. that is kind of on board for his craziness and tone. And that really elevate everything. Like I do not think the mummy would work without the cast that it has and, and how much they actually add to it. Um, no, I would, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, especially if you're going like one of my biggest issues with the movie is that I, I'm not really a fan of this. I'm not a particular fan of the comedic tone that this movie has. And it's an issue I have with other movies as well. I feel like Roland Emmerich's Godzilla's sort of did the same type of jokey. Yeah. You know, the same type of humor. Michael Bay, a lot of Michael Bay's films revel in this type of humor. So, I mean, it's not specific to Summers, but I mean, it's just this this tone of comedy going into big action blockbusters that sort of came about at this time. And it's one of those things where it's like, it just, for the most part, just rubs me the wrong way. Like I, I think the humor there, there's a lot of ridiculous humor in independence day, but for me that works because of the way that the actors and in particular Will Smith and, Jeff Goldblum deliver it and sort of make you feel why that would be funny. Yeah. In that particular moment here, you have Brendan Fraser who he, you know, he, he's not, he's not Harrison Ford in the type of thing he is going to give you in this type of role. But at the same time, I think for the type, for the way that Summers writes the movie, the character, he's a good fit. And it's because of the fact that he fits well with comedy. And he does fit well with goofy humor. Now, Grant, I'm not a huge fan of that in most of this movie. I think the tone, I think the tone uh, just really takes away from any dramatic heft that this movie should have as an adventure movie. Yeah. But, um... You know, if if you're going to go that route, Brendan Fraser is a good choice because of the fact that he can honestly sell a joke. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, I, I think every every member of the cast, big and small, for me actually shine very, very well. From like Arnold Booth as the Mummy to 
Ray Rachel Weiss sort of doing something she probably hadn't had much experience at the time doing as a serious dramatic actress, which is kind of like quirky, uh, you know, his girl Fry. I mean, I think that's what's funny is that, like, because it's set in the same period that the Indiana Jones films are in and plays by some of those same, like, throwback kind of, like, epic war, uh, that, that kind of energy, um, I don't know, that, that, that tone worked for me. And it's funny because, you know, not to say in any way that this film executes in any similar way than any of the Indiana Jones films. Um, it's probably still better than the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was, I, I, can, I, can, I can fairly say that. It's no Raiders. It's not even close to Raiders, but it's definitely better than uh, Crystal Skulls. I think that, you know, even the Indiana Jones films have these moments of, like, there's levity, but it's, like, there's there's some ridiculous, like, action set piece silliness, like the, the never-ending, you know, uh, minecart roller coaster thing. Uh, In some with, film, uh, yeah. Yeah, or which is which is a film about you know child slavery and human sacrifice. Yeah. So it, it, it jumps around, or like Sean Connery on a beach, you know, taking down a Nazi plane by like chirping birds at it. You yeah. know, look, I mean, these are like these are these are silly moments. I think they're they're handled very well, and they they give the audience a chance to relax. Mm-hmm. I think in the Mummy, they they for the most part, there's probably definitely a few that that don't hit the mark, or at least don't hit the mark anymore. They work for me, um, but I would definitely say that like. In, in further sequels of The Mummy, which I've seen, they, they I mean, many things were blown up much bigger and, and louder and noisier and not was well done. I think that humor is, is more consistent where I would agree with you that it just doesn't work the same way. Yeah, yeah I mean, and I, 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 I think I've seen the third one. I know I saw Mummy Returns. And I, I, I thought that was okay. I, I thought, for, for some reason, I thought Mummy Returns was... I, I enjoyed it more. I felt like it hit the bounce better when I first saw it in two thousand one uh, than the Stephen Summer than the original movie did. But it, I I will say it's like as far as the cast now. Granted, I I'm not necessarily a fan of John Hanna's character in this movie. I I think he I think he's a little he he's a little too goofy in this there's not really a lot of serious parts or i mean and not that there has to be serious but at least you have to have a little bit of of of, i i think you have to have a certain amount of way to ground each of these characters i mean i think you get with brent fraser i think you get to a certain extent with rachel vice and I, yeah. I really did enjoy her in this movie. This was like the first time I had really r- noticed her. And she, her and Fraser have real chemistry in this movie. And that's, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I can sort of like look past some of, some of the ways the characters are written because of the fact that they do pull you into, they really do pull you into this story that they go on together. Uh, yeah, John Hanna is her brother's. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of that performance, but I do like John <laughs> Hanna because he's he's done really good work over the years. Yeah, you know, I think I think one of the issues, and maybe that's why it grates on you too, and that in in, in in visiting it again and looking at it, um, and as much as I love the cast, I think the kind of character that Hanna is playing is also there's like there's many flip sides of that sort of like humorous devious scoundrelous kind of like he, like he's clearly the good one and then you've got benny 
uh, it was like Brandon Fraser's cowardly. You know what I mean? Like it was like like constantly backtracking. And it's I mean like again like you, you watch it and he's like I mean Kevin o- he's so committed in that role that I think is he steal like I remember I remember watching the movie being like in the same way he probably he was the same actor in Deep Rising that like it steals scenes and movies. He's a fantastic actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like and then there's also the very silly kind of you know Sala esque. Uh, uh, Baron guy that uh, that you know is is on the, the quest too. That has like a lot of heat. Like the the he's the, the slovenly you know guy's going to get killed right away kind of thing. But they're they're very they're the same facets of the same like jokey character with malicious intent. Sometimes that um, there might be just too many of them in the film for it to to gel as well. Yeah, and and yeah, Kevin, you mentioned Kevin J O'Connor, who is fantastic actor, and uh, yeah. he, he's done great work. It's like yeah, there. It's you. You kind of you. You kind of watch his performance in this movie, and it. It's like my jaw just drops by like how he's performing this character. But I mean, it's it is it is kind of enjoyable, like to see him because it's he's so he like you said he's very committed to what he's doing in the movie. Yeah, I mean, he feels he's he straight up. I think the scenes he's in, he almost kind of steals because he's so he's a very weirdly soulful actor who kind of plays these clowns a lot, you yeah. know. Or and it's it's but like and that almost kind of grounds it in a reality I, that there's something going on, you know what I mean? This person actually exists, kind of thing. Yeah, and you and uh, you mentioned uh, Arnold Voslo, who plays Imhotep in uh, the movie, and he he really when there are a lot of times where the when when Imhotep is sort of like mid transition to being his full physical presence again the CGI really is bad yeah. um, but Voslo really helps sell that and he he's got a presence to him that is just fantastic and i mean he it's that way with him whenever you see him, but I mean, in this movie in particular, he really does. Um, he he really is effective in that role. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like you can, in many ways, can be like. I mean, it worked out for him because he came back for the sequel in a little bit more bigger way. But like, I think it's it's almost like a thankless role, except he. I think, especially in the very beginning of the film, before he's mummified and before the story starts, he just even in that short, you know, prologue, he sort of sets up that presence you're talking about and who that character is and in his expressions, the passion and the anger and the betrayal and all that stuff. So that later on when you're, when you are watching CGI that may or may not be the best it can be or hold up or that you're, you know, not seeing the full him being able to express it. You kind of have this weird seared in memory of who that person was and why, why this is all happening. Um, that I think, he was smart enough or talented enough to kind of ground it there so that it, it can come back in a way that you don't get to see, but you feel. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the uh, opening scenes and yeah, I mean, his, his presence in those scenes is really great as far as saying up the story. I mean, unfortunately they, they felt the need to add narration to this for some reason. And as opposed to just showing us, I mean, I guess I get it to a certain extent, but at the same time, it it really just it it doesn't feel necessary. Like you're showing us these 
these actions that you're telling us about, so just show us. And I think that would have made it even more impressive. Although, I mean, I did feel like watching it last week that the opening scene looked very artificial. I mean, again, it, that goes to the fact that the visual effects that are employed here are not really, they don't really hold up well. Right. But um, just the way that it sets up that the story of the mummy is really something that I, I like. I just am like, why are you? It, it's very few times are is narration a good thing in a movie. I mean, very yes. few movies can do really use it really really well. But um, yeah, this one doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I I wondered like you know at the end of the day, it, especially for that time period, it was a, it was a big tent film from Universal that, you know, they were going to force some exposition one way or another because they, like, they weren't going to be like, let's just show these, let's, let's show this opening with no narration and people will sit and get it. That's not going to happen for the audience they were probably hunting for. At the same time, I don't know, as a filmmaker, you know, and knowing the constraints and probably what the studio wants and what they're expecting, I don't know if, if it would have felt any better had it, had we not had that kind of cold opening. Right. And then, Told the story, or if we kind of had, you know, through the discovery of the characters, that exposition and background. Because again, I think it, in some way, if nothing else, the narration certainly hurts it in some way. But I think setting up Buslu, who we're not really going to see in totality until like the very end, mm-hmm. um, and 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 what you know, like what how important that person was, and what he did for her, and what that sentenced them to, um, I think probably is necessary to come. First, I just, yeah, yeah. I mean, but like when you actually have somebody kind of like telling a legendary story in quick cuts of, of, you know, all this stuff, it definitely feels like Exposition City. Yeah. I mean, I I think, and yeah, I'm not sure if I would get rid of the narration completely, but I would just minimize it. You know, set the stage a little bit. It's like, this is, you know, this is where we are, you know, and, you know, this is sort of how or at least make it on the back end or just don't, it feel there's just too much of it. No, I mean, they have, like they, I think he, they, the narrator even says there's a great visual where the, um, you know, the, 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 even the priests, but the, um, the, the female is painted, you know, the, the emperor's, uh, the Pharaoh's, uh, bride or, or, or whatever. Uh, and that it's, it's also, it's, it's a decorative thing, but it's also because no one can touch her but him. Yeah. And if anyone touches her, they'll notice it, which is a great visual that makes sense without like, you know what I mean? Like, cause he literally says like, who touched you? You see the smudge. You didn't need someone setting up that he doesn't want anyone to touch her, you know, mm-hmm. but like it's, it's there. So yeah, there's definitely moments where it at least could have been peeled away a bit. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about the music here. Uh, it's by the great Jerry Goldsmith. And yeah. I, you know, I, I'm a mixed feeling with this because on the one hand, I, I feel like the music, I feel like Goldsmith is really working overtime to sell this movie. Uh, <laughs> maybe where some of the dramatic limitations exist in Summer's uh, filmmaking. But at the same time, it's still, it still very much has a very entertaining feel to it as far as the score. And it's yeah. just really well, it's well calibrated for the type of movie it is. So it's kind of hard to fault Goldsmith too much, 
I mean, he he was a fantastic composer. I mean, it's it's a shame we lost him when he did, but at the same time, he he's. I I think the way he was able to do something on a more adventure scale while also having some uh, <coughs> terror there, the way he's able to hit all of the bases that the movie is trying to hit, and for me, not completely succeeding, I. I I I'm a mixed feeling with uh, this Goldsmith score, but overall, I I can't really fault it too much. I mean, it, it, I think Goldsmith is a professional, and it, it does what it's supposed to do. Um, I think I think its its main flaw is that probably that you know, even though the action scenes, I think it it fits quite well and, and it aids it in a way. I think that overall, it's it's flat in in a way that like. Um, He's not being lazy, but I would use the word lazy in so much as like just even some of the like not the non-action shots with the epic sprawling when they're going through the desert of the quest, that sort of like faux Egyptian kind of like sitar. It, it always yeah. just feels like a play on, you know, Lawrence of Arabia or something. Like every time we're in a desert, we have to hear like a mix of this like it's almost like like a seat like a uh, a Muzak CD of like Arabian nights you'd find. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, 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 there's nothing there's nothing to it it's just like oh yeah we're, we're seeing we're, they're coming over a dune in a wide shot so let's have that you know mm-hmm. sun is hot um kind of thing it, there's nothing that like to me stood out which yeah you know, i mean that it was, there's nothing there's nothing that like stuck out in, in a negative way to me it just sort of felt like it's there didn't you know i i will say i do think the second half of this movie really it it feels like it is on a little bit better footing I, as far as being a big adventure, as far as being a big uh, sort of monster movie. I, I think the, the way the story progresses and the way it uh, and, and the way it unfolds for the most part is actually pretty decent. I still think, you know, again, we're going, again, the visual effects don't hold up by I me. Mean, I think the overall ideas of, how they get where they're going uh, makes sense. And really, I, I I enjoyed the second half of the movie more than I think I enjoyed the first half. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the I, I, I really appreciate all the actors, so I, I appreciate the, the pace of it and that it wasn't rushed to get to the thing and that you're developing all yeah. these different stories. There's a lot of characters. It does have that sort of Dean... Uh, Devlin kind of like ensemble thing going on and they're all kind of like connecting to this to what eventually becomes the the the, the quest and then the the endowment the, the third act but um I think I think one of the things that hurts the first act is that even though you're talking about a mummy and there's some a little bit of violence and, and craziness in the very beginning and that cold opening that's marred by the narration there doesn't seem to be a lot of stakes like even when even when Brendan Fraser like being about to be hung and she has to save him and like whatever I, you don't feel there's no there's no like uh there's no danger there's no but then i mean you get to that temple and bodies are dropping in horrific ways and you know a mummy is going to come back to life by eating the the people who have like gotten this curse by touching his gold which is great you know it's like for that to suddenly be that it it is kind of nuts and then then that of course sets off everything else that happens towards the end so it's it i think it just picks up when like it looks like things can actually happen and affect the world in, in bad, bad ways. Mm-hmm. I so I've only seen the original because this this is 
in the old Universal monster movies, this is a franchise in the same way like Dracula and Frankenstein and the rest of the monsters were franchises, right? Like this had sequels. Um, it did. It never quite caught on as much because I think that the and I think that's one of the things about the Mummy, and that's why I was interested in like some diversions that were possibly going to be made, and was so confused when I saw that first trailer for this one because the Mummy is kind of like the uh, the Aquaman of the Universal. <laughs> Where like it's he's a he's a tragic character. It is about I mean you, there, there's only so much you can do with a mummy. It's it's right. it's a, essentially a, it's essentially a skeletal corpse wrapped in rags. You know what I mean? Like what, what's it gonna do by making him sort of like by by weaving in the occult and then they also put in that like romantic lost love thing like Dracula. They give him some more oomph, but even that it just doesn't. It never feels yeah concerning is scary as like a wolfman or a monstrous Frankenstein or like a vindictive vampire. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have that same thing. And I think that, that by making it more of an action epic and like the curse and, and that they were able to kind of get around what would have been like a really weird, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of thing. It just doesn't have the stakes. And the same thing with Aquaman. It's sort of like he's, it's a very like medieval kind of almost Shakespeare, character but it's like a dude who's under the sea who swims and talks to fish you know what I mean like it doesn't have, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't have the, the, the gusto that you could do with other stuff <sighs> okay I was I was just kind of curious about that and yeah you 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 are right because of the fact that if you once that that story is so self-contained like in the old movies and whether you're talking about the universal one whether you're talking about the hammer one it's fundamentally the same story and it's so there's not real like you're like you said there's not really much room for it to grow and so i mean i will give i will give this franchise that where it's like they at least tried to do something a bit different with this with this material to make it a franchise i mean i'm i'm somebody who doesn't necessarily every successful movie doesn't need to be a franchise but and I think some really damn good movies have sort of been marred by the fact that they're they were turned into franchises. But at the same time, I mean, I think this is this was a solid attempt. I mean, especially when you got to the Mummy Returns and add the Scorpion King, and then you had that spinoff, and then you just just having different the fact that they were able to come up with like different stories, and regardless of how they are on artistic merits you you could at least say that there there's something there for this type of movie to be able to exist as a big genre movie yeah absolutely and and i think that in a weird way the character being so closed off gave it an avenue for them to kind of make it this movie which, like I said, when I first saw, I did not. I was like, "How the hell do you do that?" And that, that looks like that's going to be terrible. And it it worked because they they were able to adapt that character into something else. Whereas you take, you know, then I think Summer eventually went on to do Van Helsing and do all the monsters in the same kind of vein. Yeah. And it it was an absolute night, you know, like a, I mean, <laughs> many, many, many awful things we could talk about that. But that, <laughs> but but it also doesn't it doesn't work for those characters because that's. They it, it just does it. Does, there is no opening for that. They have a more specific. They have many different realms you can play with, and there's like sequels, and they can all meet each other. The Universal did that, but not it. 
it's not an epic with Frankenstein. It's not an epic with Dracula like that. Um, so I, I mean, I think they they were smartly able to do it with uh, the mummy. Yeah, I mean, and I I think this is because yes, he did do Van Helsing, and it's like that idea of a, you know, I mean, this the the Universal Monster franchise was almost the you could almost say it's the horror equivalent of Marvel right now. Yeah, it was the absolutely, absolutely. But at the same time, like like with what happened with Van Helsing, you can't really connect those characters in a way that really makes a whole lot of sense and really will do justice to all of those characters. Like I like I have I've mixed feelings on Van Helsing. Overall I kind of enjoyed it, but there were things about that I just were not was not a fan of. I it's probably my least favorite interpretation of Dracula I've ever seen in a movie. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean it you know, you you have these great and I mean if you haven't gotten any of the universal box sets with the monster movies, I highly recommend it. I mean I, I I, I will say the one thing I loved about Van Helsing is that it gave us those legacy collections where it not only had the original movies in those franchises, but all the sequels. And going through those sequels was fascinating to see sort of like how each one, how basically those stories progressed and how people tried to make franchises out of those characters. Absolutely. I mean, it really was the first, uh, I mean, even before the comic books as comic books were a thing, it was a, it was a shared universe where you would have like the mummy, the, the, you know, Frankenstein would meet the Wolfman and eventually they'd all convene in, in Dracula's, you know, castle. And, and, and the thing about them is they would progress in a linear storyline where things like for the most part, mostly sunk up, but, but, and, and some, some of them were, the, the worst of them were kind of just cheap, like, oh, they just happen to cross paths and there's a fight, and it's, but it's mostly a lot of killing time just to sell tickets. And then there are some that actually have, like, um, House of uh, House of Frankenstein, I think, is brilliant. I, I have the Blu-ray of the Universals, and I was watching it again, and it, it connects all these different, like, subplots and characters and, and gives weight. It honors all the different characters. And I think what's happening now, whether it's the, um, the failed attempt at the... And the universe of, of Marvel monsters that they were trying to do with the, with the cruise film and other stuff, or, or even Van Helsing. I think it's, they're not honoring who these characters are and their history. They're trying to create an Avengers, but they don't have the licenses to superhero characters. So they're like, well, I mean, these things all have powers and they're all mutants. So let's put them together to like, yeah. do what? I mean, like, like what's the, what's the point? Like, yeah, I mean, I'd much rather, you know, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole idea of the Dark Universe was silly for a lot of reasons. I mean, it was, and Van Helsing, there, there's a reason most people don't really think about Van Helsing much anymore. And, but I like the idea of, I don't mind the idea of this generation's filmmakers updating those monsters, like, and bringing their own sensibilities to those stories um oh what's what's the what's oh i can't rem i can't pronounce his name but he was the writer on son he directed upgrade last year which which one did he direct upgrade but he was oh, oh, the writer oh, of Saw too. Yeah, yeah was it lee is it lee wennell yeah 
Yeah, he he's doing <clears throat> the Invisible Man for Bloomhouse, and it's like yeah. I think that idea of doing doing these move doing revisiting these characters on lower budget and just re retelling these stories and giving filmmakers a way to retell these stories in a way that interests them is really the best way to go as opposed to saying, Oh, these are all going to be part of the same universe. They're all going to team up and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's another showing of Hollywood just having no idea of wanting to, you know, don't just copy Marvel. It's like, do your own thing within what Marvel is doing. You know, fine. Absolutely, do, absolutely. do a shared universe, but do it in your own way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it, like, and also just first tell some good stories and, and establish these characters where they also mean something to a world that, like, listen, you know, like, I, I love Universal Monsters. I don't know. I don't know. I think one of the also, the, sadly, the failings is that you can go back and revisit those films if you've never seen them or if you've seen them when you were a kid and appreciate them and love them. But I don't think that those characters in today's world, today's film, today's pop culture, outside of a niche audience, have the same effect and pull. I don't th yeah. think, you know, you can have nostalgia for some of the 80s slashers, that, but even that, I, I don't know has that much pull. I don't know they're making another Space Jam. I don't even know how much the Looney Tunes characters mean to, pe to people anymore today outside of like, oh, I remember that when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can appreciate it and love it, but I think if you're trying to like, I don't know if there's a hunger or a desire for it, but I do think that you can take interesting filmmakers doing unique spins on the characters. Like, you know, even The Invisible Man, I remember seeing um, Verhoeven's The Hollow Man, yeah. which explored which explored that kind of, basically it's an invisible man story, but it explores essentially the same themes in an updated way. That's so good and powerful, uh, that I think you could get filmmakers today to do those updates that are, that are about those characters and what they actually mean in an updated world, but not also trying to just cram them together in some weird team up action adventure thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, you think of Shape of Water. I mean, that's essentially Del Toro doing his Creature of the Black Lagoon. Sure. And, I mean, putting his own spin on it. And, I mean, it's it's one of those, it, you know, I mean, yeah. And I would love to see, I don't know who would direct a modern take of Dracula, but, I mean, I do feel like you could do a... I think that would be, I think in the hands of the right filmmaker, you could make an amazing new adaptation of that story. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the trick is now Dracula is a curious case because you kind of, I don't know what room aside from the, the plethora of, of different kinds of vampire stories. I don't know how you do, you've done the straight adaptations of Bram Stoker's material a couple of times done you've done the Lugosi you've done his origin story I think that that came out a few years ago you've done there's so many different you know you've done bringing him into the present the hammers did that at a certain point mm -hmm. uh I I don't know what room there is say for a Dracula but I think I think and I think the same way that like Marvel has had success with characters that weren't necessarily Spider-Man or that were so well known like who'd have thought that Thor would be such an important you know what I mean like who didn't know about Chris or that all like the guardians of the galaxy. I think a smart thing is that universal has a host of like 
films and characters and monsters that haven't been done to death, that if they went and started with those, mm-hmm. I think that would, that would even be easier not only to adapt into modern day, but also if they were going to do some kind of shared universe, you could get away with it more because you don't have such an iconic established thing that it almost feels like the pieces shouldn't fit anymore. Um, so I mean that, 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 that would be my, you know, if anyone's listening to this, that has any, uh, connections at universes, that's what you do. Uh, (laughs) but, (laughs) uh, or that's what I said to do, but, um, no, I I mean, I think that's just it. I think that it's, it's about, uh, you, you would definitely get somebody like Guillermo del Toro who loves and appreciates monsters and, and that history. You need to find filmmakers that also know, they want to put their own spin on it, but also know who these characters are. And I think, I don't know how much Somerville knew about the mummy or cared about the character as a universal thing, but in reading about all the different iterations that didn't happen, the Clive Barker one, they were, they in their own uniqueness, I think were so far off the mark and summer took it and said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to make an action adventure movie, but I'm going to appreciate this character and, 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 and organically fit it in as much as I can by expanding it. He just got, I don't know, I don't know if he did skill or luck, but it, it, or cast. And I will say, I mean, and bringing it back to summer film, I mean, I will say that's probably, that was probably the smartest way to do a modern update of The Mummy at that time. I mean, you, you're, you're talking about Clive Barker, the idea of him doing a mummy. It's like, I'd be fascinated by that because of the fact that I, I do like Clive Barker and I'm, I'm interested in what he has to say as a horror filmmaker, but at the same time, I can completely understand him just not really sort of getting it and not really being the type of filmmaker who would be able to tell this. I, I He wouldn't necessarily be the best fit for this story. And yeah, Summers maybe wasn't either, but at least he, it, I will say at least he had an idea to bring, excuse me, to bring this movie in, to bring this story into a modern Simax setting of like the Indiana Jones type adventure. And even if I don't think it's a successful film overall, I mean, it's obvious one that, it's obviously one that connected with audiences because it was a big hit and it launched its own franchise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I watch it and I think, and, and, and I would love to know if, if this was at all his things. I think, and I think actually when I was reading about it, I think he actually did pitch it this way, which, which originally goes back to the tweet that you were angry about is that this is kind of his version of Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. in so much. I think he was very interested in doing a kind of Indiana Jones esque film that was about adventure with a supernatural tinge artifact and, you know, comedy and, 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 and also a period setting, which I, you know, I think one of the things I appreciate is the fact that it, the period setting and its limitations, you know what I mean? Of, of that time period and doing stuff like even the plane, you know, and like how they get from place to place on boat. And yeah, I, 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 I it just gives it, it gives it a different feel than like, even when you, you know, you've never seen it, but like the Tom Cruise mummy, the modernness of it also just feels so out of whack with, with like why why in a world of like nuclear weapons and SWAT teams and stuff like this why is this you know like why 
prop. Like, what is going on? Like, you know, like it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I appreciate the, the time period setting. No, I, I do as well. I mean, it was the right way to, it, it was the right way to approach it. I mean, no, I, I don't think that I, you know, it's like, I, I would say if you, if you were to tell me that you enjoy this more than kingdom of the crystal skull, it's like, that's completely fair. Their Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a deeply flawed Indiana Jones movie yeah. um, for a lot of reasons. Although I disagree with some of those reasons with some people, but ultimately I completely understand why people don't aren't a fan of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I. But yeah, the fact that this is set in that time period, you don't update it, you know, because. Yeah, that become that turns it into a different movie and not necessarily a good movie. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, I guess, and there's also probably a part of me that has that weird attachment to it because I remember always wanting to see one more Indiana Jones film, which which after which after Crystal Skulls and hopefully whatever comes next is one of those cases of like be careful what you wish for because you I might know. get it. <laughs> but, but I remember that. Uh, but like that that this felt like I got a taste of that feeling that I, I, what I liked about that series mm-hmm. that somebody, you know, I'm and nowhere near as well, but like that, I felt like that it felt enjoyable to me in a way that I was so unexpected because I truly went into this film, not expecting to like it. And also not knowing what the hell I was supposed to be getting <laughs> and was, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, David, thank you for joining me today to discuss The Mummy. Wow. It was my pleasure. Yeah. And uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be talking um, a little bit later in the year uh, about another 1999 movie uh, with a horror bent, in, bent on in a Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. And I'm definitely looking forward to that conversation with you yeah that's Um, a that's a yeah but yeah thank you very much for joining me today no problem man anytime i'd like to thank david spoutro for uh joining me today to discuss stephen summers the mummy uh like we teased we've got one more uh with him for 1999 it's gonna be on tim burton's sleepy hollow and i'm really looking forward to that discussion uh, it's going to be a good companion piece to this mo- this one in particular in the way it looks at old genre films and updates them. Uh, that's it for me for the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Uh, thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for uh, subscribing at the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. Hit me up at www.patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. I actually just updated the reward tiers so that's something that would be good to uh, check out and every little bit helps there for now this is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com (laughs) 